Before we get started on Pay It Forward, I want you to remember last week we talked about going all in, and one of the things we asked you to do was to take one of these cards that we handed you as you walked in and to fill it out, mark some places on here that you believe God was pushing you or, or leading you to serve. And so if you forgot to turn yours in or took it home to pray over it some more, we want to remind you to drop that into the little box on the floor right as you walk out the door. And if you forgot yours, there's some extra ones there. just want to make sure we reminded people about that. We've had a lot of people turn theirs in. We're in the process of putting all that together and getting you connected with the right people. So bear with us for a few days as we do that. But we are so excited about how you want to serve and continue to serve in our faith family. Uh, Today we're going to be talking about the next phase in this series called Pay It Forward. Uh, You've heard of that phrase before, haven't you? Yes, a few of you have. I'm pretty sure most of us have heard of this. It's been made famous in movies. It's been made famous in conversations from, uh, from people that are famous on TV to people down the street. We talk about it all the time. It's a good mindset to have. But I want you to know it's actually a biblical mindset. It's a mindset that we should have because it comes from the gospel of Jesus. In fact, all good things emanate from the Lord originally. This is one of those good things. I'm not sure if it was invented in that way, the way you've heard it before for that purpose. But it lines right up with scripture. And today as we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Verse 5 through 15 is our primary text. We're going to see how it is for us to pay it forward because of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. So let me start off by saying a quote or reading a quote to you from, uh, from, from a guy named Keller. Uh, he's, uh, he's one of uh, the guys that I read a lot of. He's super smart. I have a hard time reading him sometimes. But uh, Timothy Keller is a pastor, or at least I think he's recently retired from his particular pastoring in New York City in Manhattan. Um, He leads a bunch of churches that have planted all over the place up there. And uh, let me read you what he talked about when I was reading through my study in this particular text. I I found this uh, something I hadn't thought about, but I thought maybe you haven't thought about this either, but it rang true for me. Listen to this. He says, over the years as a pastor, people have come to me many, many times and said, I have a problem with lust. Never, ever, ever has anyone come to me and said, pastor, I have a problem with greed. It's never happened. And yet the Bible warns against greed at least 10 to 20 times more than it warns against lust. Now, what does that mean? It means greed must be a bigger danger than lust, and yet we must be many times less aware of it in ourselves. Do you hear what he's saying there? Is that the Bible talks way more about greed than it ever talks about lust or adultery or any of those things talks way more about greed, but I bet many of you have never thought of yourself as being one who struggles with greed. And if you have, it's probably a fleeting or only an occasional thing. But I think that we, as those who are way, quote, blessed more than others in a lot of places in the world financially, that we actually struggle with it more than just about any other demographic in the world. Everybody is susceptible to it, but I think because we live in the level of comfort in which we live in this country... Even those who are at or below the poverty line live above, way above the poverty line compared to most people in the world. They still have access to all the things that many people in the world don't have, no matter where they are on the economic stratosphere. But I think that we don't think that we are very greedy. And I think that God points to a lot of truth for us all over the Bible to help us to see that we are, yet we gloss over those passages thinking that's not us. And so I want to take a few moments today as we begin to think about how we can pay forward what God has done for us. I want to look at a text of scripture that's written to probably one of the craziest situations in 
the, the, the New Testament where he's talking to a church that had just gone crazy. In his first letter that we saw in 1 Corinthians, we saw his letter from Paul talking about all these things that are just crazy going on in the church. If you don't know what I'm talking about, have some fun. It's like a soap opera from back 2,000 years ago. Go back and read 1 Corinthians. And then we come to 2 Corinthians, and he's still addressing some of these same problems. But let me just pick it up for us. In fact, I, I want to pick it up for us, if we would, um, in chapter 8. In chapter 8, I want us to read verses 1 through 9. This is where he's talking about the beginning. It's a two-chapter conversation for us as chapters. You know chapters and numbers were added around the 16th century, right? Right? Okay. Make sure you know that. So there wasn't division. It's a letter. But for us, chapters 8 and 9 are about he's encouraging this church in Corinth to give. In fact, let me start a little earlier than that. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Flip over a couple of pages. 1 Corinthians 16. And just look at those first two verses. We know, just so you know, this isn't part of the sermon naturally, but I just want to give you, We are encouraged in the Bible to give regularly. Okay? Now, the Old Testament talks about it. Real quick, I'll cover this. The Old Testament talks about it. We've all heard the tithe. We use that word even now. Uh, that word tithe is, is kind of meaning 10%. But you should know that that 10% was kind of the beginning of the giving for people in the Old Testament. Actually, they would give above and beyond that, their free will offerings. They would give other offerings for other things that would come throughout the year. They ended up giving about a third of their money, according to God's instruction, about a third of their property, about a third of their money in tithes to the Lord. Okay? So just so you know, a tithe, we say 10%, that's the base level. That was the beginning part of it. Uh, we hear it talked about later on in the New Testament as well, when he's talking about it, usually negatively, as Jesus talks to Pharisees. But we also see regular giving that goes on, not just in the Old Testament, but New Testament. Look at this in 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. Now, concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. So in other words, he's saying this to the church at Corinth. He's saying, just like I told the churches in Galatia. So this is something that goes to all the churches. He's telling all the churches to do this. He says on verse 2, on the first day of every week, which would be Sunday when they were gathering, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. He's saying give regularly so that when the ministry time to give comes, the church will be ready to hand that over to whatever it needs to give it to. Okay, that's at the end of his last letter. Now we're coming to chapter, or 2 Corinthians, his next letter. We think there's one in between, actually. It's probably his third letter. But this is the one we call 2 Corinthians, chapter 8. Here's where it starts off, verse 1. He says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty... In their extreme poverty, have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, and as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Look at verse 8. I say this not as a command. Some of you are like, right? Wiping the sweat off the brow. But to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. I say that again. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. In other words, to prove that your love is real, 
For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Now we're going to jump over, skipping a few things in between just for sake of time, to chapter 9, starting in verse 5. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, talking about God, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever." He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Let me pray and we'll dive in. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you don't just deal with only the heavy and weighty matters that are theological and that are are difficult for us to understand, that you bring light to them, but you also hit upon the things regularly that are so easily overlooked by us. Lord, work in our hearts today to change us to be a people who love to give and who give generously because you have given so generously to us. Lord, I pray that you do these things for your glory and for Jesus' fame. Amen. Now, this is one of those in seminary that uh, I was told we call seat makers. Because if you don't like to hear about giving, you may not come back. And I just want you to know that we're not going to skip around in the Bible and miss things that are hard to deal with. Uh, we're going to deal with things head on. And I'm not here to beat down anybody or to, to make anybody give by compulsion. That's against the Bible, right? What we just read. But to give because you love the Lord because he first loved us. And I'm not going to give you a guilt trip about this. I'm not going to check up on you. As I said before, I don't know who gives what. And I don't really care who gives what. It's up to you and the Lord. And you have to deal with him on those things. All I know is that as we are given faithfully by God the grace that he supplies regularly, and ultimately the grace he's given us in Jesus, it should change everything for us. It should change everything for us. Everything should come under the, 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 the understanding that it's not ours, and we are not even ours, but God has purchased us in the cross, in Christ, and his death for us, so that we might be delivered over to him for our joy, for all eternity to be with him forever. So therefore, all that we have is his. He's bought us with the precious, inexpressibly valuable uh, blood of Jesus. And so we are no longer ours, but we are his. And everything we do, everything we have is for his glory. Amen? That's how it should be. If you've been brought into the faith family, you know this. If you haven't yet, then maybe you're going to hear something new today that's going to challenge you. So let me just push on us a little bit. Three things I want to cover for us briefly. How should we give? How should we give? Right here in this text early on. How should we give? 
Now, I'm going to show you how we should give, and then I'm going to tell you why does it matter how we give. Okay, so I'm going to tell you how we should give, and then why does it matter how we give. So according to this text, Paul hits it very quickly for us in verse 5. Look at verse 5. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. Let me put that in our language, right? Here's number one. Our giving should show our desire to bless and not our greediness, not our greediness. Our giving should show our desire to bless and not our greediness. You think, how did you get that out of there? Let me walk you through it real quick. Verse 5, so I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift. Actually, that word for gift is the same word we would call like a blessing, okay? So I thought it necessary they go on ahead and arrange in advance for the blessing you have promised. It's all about finances, we know, because it's all throughout here. The financial blessing that you have promised. So that, here's the reason why, that it may be ready as a willing gift, as a blessing that you willingly give and not as an exaction. That idea of exaction is, uh, is, it comes from the word that we get the word avarice for, which means greed. Okay, so that's why I've got on here. Our giving should show our desire to bless and not our greediness. And you know what I'm talking about, right? Have you ever been in a place, anywhere you go, go to TJ Maxx and buy something on the rack for $5, and they're going to ask you to give a dollar to something at the front, right? You know what I'm talking about? Everywhere you go, everybody's saying, would you like to contribute to the little children in China who have no food? You're like, no. <laughs> right? And you feel guilty for doing it, right? And part of it's like, I don't even know where that money goes, how much that actually makes it there, how much is spent on over it, how much is given to this. We don't know what those things are, right? So we don't know how to do it. But he's telling you here, when you give through the church... You are a part of the faith family. This is a family of believers together in a local place. And as we give, we give so out of wanting to be a blessing and not because we're greedy and we're like, oh, okay, I'll hand that part over right there, but I'm keeping the rest. Okay, it's not ours to keep, right? We give out of being a blessing. Listen, 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul talks about it here, verse 17 through 19. Now listen, when he says the word rich, he's talking about people like everybody in this room, no matter where you come from, no matter how much you make. Compared to those around the world, even if you are on uh, help from the government, it doesn't matter. You have more than most people in the world that live on one or two dollars a day. Okay, not everybody that has that situation. Most people do. Here's what he says about the rich. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Now, who's the giver of all things then? God is. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. We should give out of our desire to bless others because we have been blessed, not in a way that shows our greediness because we're kind of deciding if we're going to give a little bit there. Oh, I gave my 10% to the community so I can get the tax write off, right? Not out of our avarice or our greed, but out of wanting to bless. That's how we should give, number one. The second one comes from verse six. Let's look at that. The point is this, he says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Our giving, in other words, should be sown generously and not sparingly. Now, let's get a better picture of what this looks like. He's using words about farming because he's kind of bringing the light. If you remember the, the, like Mark 4 where he's talking about the sower and he's throwing seed out and it's going on four different types of soils. 
Okay, if you don't know it, go back and read Mark 4, get the picture in your head. Basically, the guy is doing this. He's not got rows, and he's like walking up and digging a little hole and putting one seed in and covering it up. That's sparingly, okay? That's sparingly. You dig one little piece here, one little piece there. No, he's saying do it like everybody should do it. Back in this time, the picture would have been the guy walking around with a bag full of seed, and he'd have been just casting it everywhere he could, kind of slinging it into the dirt, hoping that something took out of all of it. Lord, I'm giving bountifully because you're going to bring a bounty for me. And just throw it all over the place. Even the guy in Mark 4, he throws it. He knows it's hitting the path. He's not stopping and redirecting. He's throwing the seed everywhere, right? He knows that he throws the seed down. That's his duty. And then God is going to raise up the crop, right? He's going to go home, go to bed. And God's going to raise up the crop. And this is what we are to do. We are to sow generously, not sparingly. To give generously. Our giving should be sown generously, not sparingly, church. That's what we see in Scripture. Look, Luke 21, 1 through 4. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. That's at the temple, by the way, at church, right? He saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. Right? The idea is that we give over and above. Right? The idea, we've heard it before, give till it hurts. Does it really hurt? <laughs> How many times have you given it really hurts? Some of you have. You know what I'm talking about. How many times have you really given though till it hurts in that way like this widow does? So you've been blessed a lot, much is expected of you, right? You watch Spider-Man. That's a biblical idea that Spider-Man stole. Really, not Spider-Man, but... The guy who wrote the movie and the books and the comics, right? Anyway, our giving should show our desire to bless and not our greediness. It should show our generosity and not be sown sparingly. Look at verse 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Look, this is where you should be like, man, that is so good. This lines up with everything else in Scripture. You recognize that everything the Bible says about do this, don't do that, it really boils down to a matter of the heart, right? He says, don't commit adultery. Jesus says, you've already lusted in your heart after someone, you've already committed adultery. He says, don't kill anybody. Jesus says, you've already hated someone in your heart, you've already murdered them, right? So it's about matters of the heart. Motivation is important. Motivation is important. So when he says here in verse 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart... Not reluctantly or under compulsion. The idea here is our giving should come from a generous heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Don't give because you think it's expected. This is one of the reasons why, now hear me right, I'm not changing this. It's one of the reasons why I don't like the plates coming around in front of me. I feel compelled to drop something in the plate. Come on, anybody else want to admit they feel compelled to drop something in the plate when it comes by? Come on, Nobody? Some of you are like, yeah, but you don't need to, yeah, see? You feel compelled when it comes by. It's because we, compulsion is strong within us. We know people look at us, they're seeing us, we feel compelled to do something. Or because we're reluctantly giving. I don't really want to give right now, but I feel like I have to give. Like when the little girls show up at your doorstep selling cookies. Some of us buy because we want. <laughs> Some of us give because we want to serve. Some of us give because we don't want them to look at us with evil eyes when we drive by the next day, Right? Don't do it reluctantly or under compulsion, but give out of a generous heart. 
and give what your heart says to give. Look, 10%, that, that, that's like a minimum in the Old Testament. It was much more that was given. And I would say a good place to start if you're not giving or if you're not giving that much, that's a great place to start. But I think you're going to see in a few minutes that giving 10% is kind, of a, is kind of a starting point in a lot of ways. It's a lot. Okay, maybe you can only give 1% or 2% of whatever your, your, your gross income is right now. Uh, but but give, give whatever you can out of that back to the Lord. It is a blessing. Not in the ways a lot of people talk about it. We'll get to that in a minute. But it's a blessing. Listen, listen to this. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. In another place, it talks about that Jesus did that out of his joy. Out of his joy, he gave his life for you and for me. Not reluctantly or by compulsion. Out of his joy, he gave of himself. And so we should decide in our heart we're going to give and give out of our joy. It should be a blessing for us to give. Not just to here, but to whatever we give to, whatever needs to be given, wherever that might be. And listen, I'm telling you that as you pray and talk to the Lord and as he puts something on your heart to give to, give and give with a joyful heart. And if it hurts at first and you're doing it under compulsion, but the Lord has indicated to do it, do it anyway. Fake it till you make it, Right? Like, still do, obey the Lord, and he will change your heart. The same idea with reading Scripture. Some mornings you may wake up and go, I don't want to read the Bible today. I don't feel like it right now. I'm busy. I don't feel good. I get a headache. You know what? Man, jump in, and usually he's going to make it feel better when you do it. You feel encouraged. You sense what he's doing in you. You don't always feel in the beginning what he's asking you to do, but do it anyway because he does what's best for you. And part of that is giving. The entire created order was given to us out of nothing. He created all things and laid it out for us and said, here, it's yours, right? It's all to be ours. In fact, in the end, we will all be co-heirs with Christ. It's all ours. So, man, give it away. Give it away. He's paid for it. It's purchased. Give it away. Give generously. It should come from a generous heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Now, why does it matter how we give? I've explained a little bit already, but I'm going to let the text explain. You ready? We're going to run through these real fast. Are you ready? All right. Look at verse 7 again. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For, every time you see the word for, F-O-R, or because, you need to like put a box around that because that is now giving the reason for everything he just said. Okay, every time you see the word for, because, that he's giving the reason for everything he just said. In other words, each one must give as he decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So you should give whatever's in the heart, out of the heart and joy, because God loves a cheerful giver. He's a cheerful giver. He's lovingly bestowed upon you the greatest treasure he could possibly give in Jesus. And he wants you to give in the same manner in which you've received. So give because he loves a cheerful giver. Why does it matter how we give? Look at this, verse 8 and 9. I'll tell you, because God supplies all our needs. That's why. Look at verse 8 and 9. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Don't fall into the hype about what people preach when they tell you that you give, you can't outgive God. And that's true. But they're saying the idea of if you give to God, God's going to give you back a lot more than you've given to him. And they're talking financially. He may not do that. You may give all you have and be destitute. 
Now, you will receive blessing in that because you'll be like Jesus. And you will celebrate and worship him because of that. But you may not receive back financially. Don't fall into the trap of thinking that. That's not what he's talking about here. Look at it again with me real quick. Verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. He's able to give you all things, right? So that having all sufficiency in all things, having enough, having what you need. There's no one in this place. I'm throwing a big statement out there. There's no one in this place that can't get what they need if they really want it in this place if you have nothing. People will give. The government will give. People have shelters. There's enough. You will have all sufficiency. It may not be what you want, but you'll have what you need. No matter what you do, no matter how much you give, you will have what you need in this, in this place. Because God supplies all our needs. So why does it matter how we give? Look at verse 10 and 11. I'll give it to you on the front end. Because God will be generous towards us in every way so that we will be generous in every way. Look at verse 10 and 11. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Look at that again. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply. That's him being generous. Multiply your seed for sowing. There's a purpose in it. Get it? He's going to multiply what he gives you so that you can give away that stuff. It's for sowing. It's for giving. Every time you give away, you're sowing a seed of the gospel when you make it for the glory of God. Every time. Look, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So everything you're given, everything that's for you is not just for you. It's for you and for someone else. Everything you've been given, whether it be your time, your talent, your treasure, your temple, whatever it is, it's all for you to give back to the glory of the Lord. Everything. It is not yours. The problem for a lot of us is that we think we're owners when we're just stewards. We've been given stewardship over it, but it's not ours in the first place. The car you have, that's not yours. In fact, it's probably the bank's more than it's yours in this place anyway, right? Or the house. But it's not even theirs. It's the Lord's. So, so, so what, why don't we hold on to it like it's ours, right? And we scrimp and save and do it all so we can have the little things that we want. I'm guilty just like the next. We've got to realize we've got to pay it forward. Listen, because God deserves the glory of our giving. Because God deserves the glory of our giving. Look at verse 12 and 13. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. When you give in this place, there are many people connected here that are actually funded by your giving, like my family, one of them, and we thank the Lord for you. (laughs) We give glory to the Lord that you give so that we can have food on the table because he provides through you. When you give here, you make it possible for people to bring their children here every week at a, at a rate at which they might can afford so that they could have them in preschool where they go to a job and make money to put food on the table. Okay? When you give here every week, you give so that students can hear the gospel because we're training up students to take the gospel to their schools and around this, this, this county for the sake of the glory of God. And people are thanking you for that, especially as they come to faith and as parents see what the changes that are happening in their kids. When you give in this place, people around the world are thanking you for that so that they can reach people who do not know Jesus. 
When you give in this place, one of our missionaries over in the Stans, right, she gets the money and she gives that to other people and helps fund them so they can have food on their table so that they can do ministry in schools and in, in villages so that we can get the gospel to a place where they've never known Jesus. Isn't that awesome? And we give thanks, they give thanksgiving, and the people there give thanksgiving, and we as staff give thanksgiving for that, and we as other leaders in the church give thanksgiving, and you give thanksgiving because we're excited because one of the things we've learned is that when the last time that Stan missionary went back home, we had new people had come to faith while she was gone. Isn't that awesome? Because you give faithfully and generously out of an overflow in your heart because of what God's done for us in Jesus. Listen, to those that just give a tithe, I'm not pushing on you here. Just listen, okay? There's a step for all of us. Your next step, whatever that is, give that next step. Be generous that next step. But let me just talk about the heart, right? So why does it matter how we give, why we give? Listen, Matthew 23, 23, Jesus says, Woe to you, or curse be upon you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. He's jumping on them because they're doing their religious duty, not because they're giving out of an overflow of the heart. He's like, yeah, 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 you give your stuff you got to give, but your heart's not right with me. Right? That's what he's saying. Matthew 6, 1 through 4. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Look, there's like one or two people in this whole faith family that know what you give. And they know because they have to send out a report to you by law at the end of the year. None of the staff here know what you give unless you tell them. Nobody knows. It's all in secret. And if you don't like giving it in a plate, which is going to be passed around every week here for people to give that way, we have these little boxes in the wall. There's one right there. Everybody turn and look. There's one right here. Luke's showing you. And there's... There's one at the other end when you come in the main entrance, right on the left, right after you pass by the, the left turn to go to the children's ministry, right there on the left in the main hall, there's another one. And those are boxes are there just so in case you miss the plate or you don't like giving in front of other people so that you can give it whenever you want to give it. We want to give you an opportunity for those of you who don't like giving in front of folks to give that way. If we don't care how you give, we want you to give because the Lord's put it on your heart. That means you need to pray and ask the Lord, how much do I give? Don't decide in yourself what you give. It's not up to you because it's not yours. So ask the owner what you're to give. And he may tell you, give 1% right now because you aren't able to give anymore. That's great. Do that. He may tell you to give 20% and then swallow that for a minute. Say, yes, Lord, and give 20% of your gross income. Whatever it is, give. When the Lord says give. When he says jump, you just do it, right? It doesn't matter what it is. All we want you to do is to be obedient to the Lord. Pay it forward. Look, These last two I'll put together. Why does it matter how we give? Because we submit to God. Because we submit to God. We don't submit to anybody else's rules and regulations. You're not going to see a rule and regulation in this faith family about how you give. But we do it because we submit to God. And the implication here is that you will be giving. That's the implication. Because you've been given so much. 
We'll see that in just a second. Look, we submit to God. That's why. And also, because of our confession of the gospel of Jesus. Because of our confession of the gospel of Jesus. Look, verse 13 through 15. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission. Get that? Because of your submitting to the Lord for what he wants you to do, okay? Because of your submission, flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ. In other words, they will glorify God because of what you give, because of your submission to him, which flows from your confession of the gospel. So if you're confessing Jesus as your Lord, if you're confessing that you've been saved, if you're confessing that you know him and that he's changed your life because you were dead and now you're alive, because you were lost and now you're found, if that's what you're confessing with your mouth, then you will recognize the enormous giving that he has done for you and for me in Christ and you will then speak that back out to him in praise and glory and you will give whatever he calls you to give because it's his, because he's given all you need in Jesus. Everything. Look, read it again. Look at it. Verse 13 on, by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. That's talking about Jesus. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift in Jesus. Everything we have, everything that we could ever need, everything we could ever want, and more and more and more for all eternity that will keep giving us more joy than we could possibly imagine for the rest of eternity is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Everything. It's all given for His glory. We give back to Him because He first gave us everything we need. He's given us more than we could ever accrue. And all He's saying is, give back with a generous heart because I've given of you so generously. Man, you need to pray. I need to pray. We need to ask, Lord, what do you want from me? And whatever it is, brothers and sisters, let us give and let us find joy in our giving because as we give in that way, we are more like Jesus than we were before in our obedience and in our selfless giving, all for the glory of the Lord. Brothers, sisters, let us respond in obedience, not because we're religious, but because we've been redeemed, because we've been bought and paid for, bought out of slavery, freed from our sin, freed from death, freed from condemnation, and brought into the family of God for our joy forever. Let us give because he's given us so much in Christ Jesus our Lord. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your glory We thank you for all that you've done for us in Jesus Christ, your son. Lord, work within us that we might become generous in our giving back to you. In whatever way you call us, whether it be on the street as someone asks, whether it be in a way that we give at work or as we go about our ways in life around this place, or whether it be here as we contribute to the sake of the ministry of this faith family. Whatever it is, Lord, make it clear and give us the boldness to follow you and say, yes, Lord. Because you've given us so much in Christ, we'll give you everything that's already yours anyway. And we ask that all in Jesus' name. Amen.